Welcome to The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week, where every Saturday we discuss the biggest news stories of the week with Portland's noisiest newsmakers, savviest culturistas, and some of the best journalists in the game. I'm your host, Brianna Wheeler, and I want to hear from you. So send your questions and comments to me, bwheeler at wweek.com. All right, y'all. Enjoy the show. Today I'm talking to my favorite Historia Oregonian, Doug Kank Crispin, about this week's Choose Your Own Adventure cover package, You Can Find Portland's Buried Treasure. Doug put this piece together with fellow Historia Oregonian, J.B. Fisher, and if you haven't already, you really should grab a physical copy of this issue before it quits the stands, because there is a literal, real-life, rich-stuff treasure map inside. It's Saturday, November 12th, and this is episode 97 of The Dive. There's a lot of treasure lore in the Pacific Northwest, from the infamous beeswax shipwreck that Doug and I dished about last time he was a guest, to this week's Sims Gold Treasure Chart, a cryptic, hand-drawn treasure map to possible riches right here in Rose City. And just a disclaimer, regardless of the treasure map you're studying, please don't dig up a grave. Doug will explain why that disclaimer is necessary, but first... Here's what I learned from this week's edition of Willamette Week. From the WW website, the election results are here, and there are some high highs and some low lows. Joanne Hardesty conceded to Renee Gonzalez. Charter reform passed. Gun control scored a big win, and despite a breathtakingly deep-pocketed campaign against her, Tina Kotek is the new governor of Oregon. Buckle up, y'all. Change is coming. Lucas Manfield reports a troubling new trend in crime. Vandals and thieves stealing catalytic converters from the minibuses used to transport Portland's special needs students. Security in the bus yards is sparse and lax, but a non-lethal solar-powered electric fence might be the solution. Andrew Janowski reports, to my extreme pleasure, that newly christened Sissy Bar has joined Crush Bar and Opals to complete Southeast Morrison's Queer Bar Block. See you at the tea dance. All right, now let's chat with Doug Kent Crispin about his cover piece, You Can Find Portland's Buried Treasure. So uh, the Portland treasure chart appeared in the 1930s. There was a judge in Seattle named Everett Smith, and he passed away, and his son was going through his papers. And he found this very unique document. There was nothing else like it, no other notes alluding to it. But it was this map that seems to describe Portland, Oregon. And furthermore, as you kind of look along, it seems to describe a gentleman named Sims who died in the Civil War. And near a grave are two spots where $3,000 are buried in each of them. So a total of $6,000. Then, you know, references the date uh, in February 1964 or 1864, excuse me. So it's really mysterious. And uh, Smith's son spent some time looking for it and um, he couldn't find anything. And he ended up donating the Portland Treasure Chart to the Oregon Historical Society. Um, And it was kind of referenced here and there, but mainly an author by the name of Ruby L. Holt. Uh, She wrote a book called Treasure Hunting Northwest that really kind of detailed it. Now, interestingly enough, when Ruby went down to the Oregon Historical Society to view the chart, 
they couldn't find it. So it went missing within the society uh, for uh, some years. Um, but when Ruby wrote this story, uh, it really kind of energized a lot of local uh, Portland treasure hunters. And it became kind of this this family activity in the late 1960s, early 1970s to go looking for treasure and get the kids in the station wagon. And, you know, here's this clue, this puzzle, this quiz almost. Let's piece it together and see if we can find the, the, the hidden parts and, and find out what this treasure is. So... Uh, Ruby wrote about it and she, I, I really credit her with kind of bringing it to the forefront. And then I just happened to find out about it, um, in the, in the aughts, the 2000 aughts when I was at Goodwill and found a copy of Treasure Hunting Northwest for a couple bucks and thought, well, this looks kind of cool and picked it up. And that's kind of what started it. So, um, m- myself and the co-author of the article, uh, JB Fisher, who's also a Portland historian, um, we just have geeked out on this story for a couple of years. And so we've just kind of delved a little deeper and thought that this would be a good story for Willamette Week readers that they would geek out on as well. So I'm glad that it, it came to fruition. So there were a lot of treasure hunters communicating with uh, the author, Mr. Holt. Yep. What... Um, why do you think, why hasn't anybody found this treasure yet? You know, I don't really know. I mean, one, theoretically, uh, it, it seems pretty clear from the Portland treasure chart that, well, um, let me back up. One, the Portland treasure chart could be bullshit. We don't know. Fair. <laughs> no, I yep. mean, there's absolutely nothing with it. Um, like I said, we had a, um, a, JB and I had a paper expert meet us down at the uh, at the research library to look at the treasure chart. And it had always been described as being written on tracing cloth, right? Because you feel the paper and it feels very different. It feels like a vellum or something like that. And, and John, uh, the expert we had down, he told us that, no, this isn't tracing cloth. What this is is like an early version of waxed paper, like something you might use in the kitchen, mm. right? And that kind of appeared in the 1890s. And he said that this would have been really expensive back then. Mm. And the other thing that you notice on the treasure chart in the original copy of it, um, and I've, I've got photographs of it at my website, orhistory.com. And also on my Twitter feed, there's one Oregon underscore history. But if you look at the photograph of the treasure chart, you'll see that most of it is written in blue crayon is what it was described, right? And there's also a little bit that's in yellow crayon too. And what John told us is that this was at that time this wasn't like crayola kids crayons like a box of 50 different colors these were actually like a a um an artist's crayon mm. okay so something that it, it, pretty much a professional artist would use sure. like children wouldn't have it and it would have been very expensive as well mm-hmm. so the thing about these if if we look at this chart of being somewhere between the eight 1890s to the 1920s that it was manufactured these were really kind of specialized products it wasn't like you or i just went over and you know we we grabbed some paper off of the printer you know and then we grabbed our sharpie and then kind of wrote it out like these would not have been really common day accoutrement for that time period 
So I think the, the the reason why people haven't found the Portland treasure is a it's either bullshit. Uh, B, there's some stigma about digging up graves. Um, you know, I, I don't know why, but apparently there is. Um, you know, C, maybe they did find it and they just have kept their mouth uh, shut, sh- not sh- told sh- anybody. You know, that that could be a possibility. Um, you know, but I think when we look into it, I mean, we it's it's cryptic. And as John Henley told us as we were looking over this this paper, um, is that. You know, a treasure map isn't like the movies where there's like an X and then you take that map and you're like, oh, there's that tree over there. And here's that little path. And it says I go 10 paces. And well, here's where the X would be. I'll dig right here. I mean, treasure maps aren't like that. They are somewhat cryptic themselves. Yeah. Because while you may draw a map of where you buried the treasure, you don't want to lose said map and have someone else find your treasure Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you know there's a few odd clues in the portland treasure chart you know one of them is there is an n well there's lots of n's throughout the portland treasure chart in the script that's written Mm -hmm. but the very first n is backwards it looks like the russian letter e it's a backwards n now none of the other ends on the chart are backwards. Curious, Curious. You know? So I mean there's there's a few little things that when you look at it you go, "Huh, is that a code mm-hmm. that you then use with the treasure chart?" But ultimately I think this is why the Portland treasure chart has has persevered through decades now. Is it so fucking trippy? Like you can just sit and geek out on it for hours. Looking at it, like, is that a school or is that a steeple of a church? Like what? And, you know, there was a fantastic quote about how and it's at the end of the article. I can't remember it now. It's one of the box quotes. Um, one of the one of the uh, correspondents to Ruby wrote, you know, it's just like I spin over this on my mind and I feel like there's just one detail that will unlock the secret of the Portland treasure chart. And I feel like I'm just right on it, but I don't have it yet. So it's kind of this almost obsessive quality that goes along with it. Isn't that great when I'm just steering people towards this morning, you know, <laughs> Get another obsession. This one's kind of ghoulish. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, okay. So people are looking at this chart. They're pouring over it. They're trying to dissect it. There's this what one thing I can't figure out, but this could mean this, but that could mean that. But you and your co-author, you possibly did make a huge gnarly discovery, which is well, why we're telling people yeah, not to yeah. dig up graves. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, we've kind of been geeking out on this for a while. And JB really started looking into this gentleman named Nathan Jones, who was up. Uh, he had an original donation land claim up around the Sylvan area. Mm-hmm. He owned a graveyard. Um, you know, he happened to be, unfortunately, he was bludgeoned one evening, uh, in his home, um, ended up being, uh, injured pretty severely. And, uh, he, uh, died a few, a few days later, maybe a week later, but during the process, um, it was revealed that he had just made a land sale. Uh, and the proceeds that he received from that land sale were $6,000, which, of course, correlates with the Portland treasure chart. And, you know, he'd received this sale in cash and he had hidden it somewhere on his land. And the people that had uh, that had invaded his home were looking for this. Oh, one, wow. Uh, you know, when the bludgeoning took place. So. 
he seemed to really cut, you know, he had a, he had a, a graveyard. I mean, if, if you own a graveyard, theoretically, it would be fairly easy for you to secure things in that graveyard mm-hmm. that you would not want people to get to, especially with the stigma of digging up said yards. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot going into it. And JB and I, uh, in the article, you know, we took a lot of his research and, and laid out kind of how people can, can, can follow along with kind of the train of thought that was going on there. So um, we've identified a, a, a specific grave in that area that we think, you know, could, could be a possibility. Uh, we yet once again remind people to not dig up graves because um, it's, it's generally frowned upon, as we said. Um, and you could go to jail, at assume, uh, for doing such a thing. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. But again, that's just that's, that's one option. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, of cemeteries in the Portland metropolitan area. Um, if you go out a little bit, you know, if you if you interpret the, the, the map a little bit more loosely than we have, you know, we've been out to we went out to a, a cemetery out in the wine country and looked around there. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of and I think, if anything, that's really what Ruby's kind of Ruby L. Holt's uh, thrust was in her books and what we want people to do in this in this article is just get out and just enjoy kind of having this other quest going on, you know, put down the screens, you know, turn off the phone, let's go outside and, you know, get a bottle of wine and go to the graveyard and make some rubbings and just kind of geek out on what's going on there. Get real goth. And, and, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe you'll come up with some ideas with the Portland treasure chart that come together. So. Would those graves, would that land ever be like excavated with the purpose of finding this treasure? Is that, is there a precedent for that? Does that ever happen? So different times, of course, different bodies are exhumed and graves are dug up and things like that. So there's certainly a precedent. That I'm thinking nothing in that graveyard. And I can't think of anything super locally that may have happened like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of kind of... Um, kind of sensors and uh, some of the remote stuff that they're able to do that you can view uh, underground for a bit to kind of see what's going on without actually disturbing the gravesite, mm-hmm. you know? So I think there's kind of modern technology that can be utilized to, to really kind of get into the bottom of some of that stuff. And, you know, it's expensive. You need to track down the experts to get to do it, you know, but, you know, I imagine that plenty of metal detector folks and others, you know, have other options that are thinking of different things. But I know that, you know, a lot of the kind of remote sensor stuff has been done for underground archaeological sites and so on. So, you know, I don't know if that technology could be adapted and brought over to that level. But, you know, there's there's lots of different options, I think. And we've been kind of focusing more on kind of that documentary, you know, the, the, the historical record aspect of it. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it's, it's a fun story. I'm glad people are geeking out on it and I hope people come up with some ideas and, you know, they can message us on Facebook or in Twitter, or, you know, email us and, you know, let's kind of keep that correspondence going. Cause I think that's really fun. And that's, that's, that's a neat aspect of this story that we've been able to uncover that not a lot of folks have looked into before. Mm-hmm. Um, what was, was there anything left out of the story? Anything cut out? I think we did. I think it was space wise. We did talk about um, one of the graveyards that we went to out in wine country a couple years ago, Pike Cemetery. Um, so that was cut out of there. Um, and, you know, uh, but I, I have a podcast on it, a kick ass Oregon history podcast people can look into on the Sims treasure if they'd like to 
you know, a little bit more about that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, we had, that was a nice thing, you know, being the, the feature story, the cover story, what will, um, we had a lot of space, you know, mm-hmm. to really kind of delve into this story and really kind of, kind of unpack a lot of the stuff that was going on. So, so I, I think that there was, there was, uh, plenty, plenty of print there, plenty of ink for us to tell the story. And, uh, so it was great. Uh, we worked with Aaron at the Willamette Week on, on that. He's a fantastic editor. So really kind of helped us kind of look into some areas, you know, some suggestions and so on. So it was, it was a real good time. I think people should read that. If they want to get a little bit more detail, uh, they should uh, check out the podcast from Kick-Ass Oregon History that we have on it. And, uh, you know, let us know if, if they've got any ideas of where this treasure might be. Um, we will, we will, uh, 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 will not share the location if we get a few doubloons as well. Big thanks to my guest this week, Doug Camp Crispin, and thank you for joining me. I hope you'll join me again next week. Until then, bye!